Good evening, everyone. In John the seventh, I'm just going to read a verse before I actually begin what I was going to share on. In John the seventeenth chapter, Jesus said this. He said, "Now I come to thee." He's praying to the Father. He says, I, now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in them. He's talking about his disciples. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Now I pray, not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shouldest keep them from the evil one. Everybody say amen. amen. How many believe that Jesus' prayers are effective? Yes. Amen. That you would keep them from the uh, from the uh, evil one, verse 16, and they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Say God's word is truth. Word is truth. Amen. It really is. So I want you to open your Bibles. Uh, we're going to ultimately be, uh, go to First John, the second chapter. And, um, you know, for the last, it, sometimes it just kind of gets hazy on the direction that you know, we're going in regards to the, the kind of the series that we like to do on, on this coming Sunday. I'm really got an awesome message on righteousness, understanding your right standing, understanding your right standing with God. But tonight I wanted to um, continue to share on the authority and dominion that God has given you uh, uh, from the Word of God. You know, right in the beginning uh, in the book of Genesis, you know, that the, 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 the assignment that God gave to Adam, he said, I want you to subdue and have dominion. I want you to walk in the authority of my name because God knew that Adam had enemies and uh, his, the main enemy that would end up um, uh, seducing uh, the woman, uh, of course, is the devil. And uh, he's, been, he's been deluding people ever since. Can I have an amen to that? And so then he said this, I want, I'm going to put you in this garden that I made for you and that, that place of provision and uh, he said, I want you to dress it and I want you to keep it. I want you to make sure that it produces. And every natural story has a spiritual truth to it. This one, you know, this isn't about some natural garden in, the, in, 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 in uh, a place called Eden. Yes, God put the man there. Remember, the man uh, was three-dimensional. We, we, we learned that from 1 Thessalonians 5. Man is a spirit being made in the image of God. Uh, and, and he was to display the likeness of God in the earth. He was supposed to walk in the authority and dominion uh, of, of, of uh, the one that was his master. That's God. God has always had our best interests at heart. Everybody say amen. amen. Our best interests at heart. He cares about you deeply. You are his child. If you're born again, you're a child of God. And uh, he promises to take care of us. And uh, that's why, see, we're, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. Our identity is found in Christ Jesus. And then we have something called a soul. We're three-dimensional. A soul which is made up of our mind, our will, and our emotions. And we know that all warfare, always remember this, all warfare in your life originates in your soul, in your mind. Raise your hand if you believe that. Or raise your hand if you recognize that. That everything about, every attack or assault in your life is, begins right here in your thought life. Amen. And then, of course, you have this body, which is an earth suit made of clay and water, and uh, an earth suit that um, found itself um, affected by the curse that God decreed on the earth um, so that it wouldn't produce for Satan. And, of course, that, that's why this body's got to go back. Unless the rapture takes place, uh, unless Jesus returns, then we, are, uh, we have to give up these bodies. They go back to the earth 
to which they came from, the soil. And, um, but anyway, so with the soul, uh, we know that when you got saved, your soul and your body did not change. You, uh, I, how many got, I remember the day that you accepted Christ in your heart and you got so excited. You literally thought at that moment everything had changed. You did, didn't you? I mean, I thought everything had changed. I thought, wow, this is awesome. Only to realize that in that process of time, that old flesh nature would rise up. And we're going to talk more about that next Wednesday night. Uh, all, the flesh nature rises up to become a problem in your life. In fact, uh, <clears throat> I said this last week. If, you, if you're not able to identify your enemies, your true enemies, then you'll not be able to conquer them unless you recognize who they are. And I said Satan is not your, he is an enemy, but he's not your greatest enemy. And we'll, we'll uh, talk more about that as we go on. So Paul, he said to, because this, because the uh, outer man is not changed, the soul or the body, um, Paul said this in Romans 12, 1, I'll just say it to you. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, a, oh, there it is, a living sacrifice, say living sacrifice, living amen. Sacrifice. It means God wants you to take this house and carry his presence in it, and so his presence comes through it. And he says, uh, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, and acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service, and then he talks about the soul. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing or the re renovating of your thought life. Um, it's, it's funny how that, you know, there's certain phrases or certain behaviors that we carry on. See, when you, remember I've said this so many times, but it's true. When you become a Christian, you bring your culture into your Christianity or you bring your Christianity into your culture. In other words, some of the things that, how you acted, you know, uh, the things you said and rehearsed, hearing them from your dad, mom and dad and stuff, all of a sudden they come with you not realizing that they didn't, they didn't stay, you know, under, like, you know, uh, it, it was washed away. They came with you because they're still part of your soul nature. That's why you have to renew your thought life and so that you don't end up get, being snared by the words of your mouth. Again, many things we can talk about that. So, listen to this. An unrenewed mind is one of the greatest enemies to the inward work of God in your life. Let me say it again. An unrenewed mind is one of the greatest enemies of God's work in your life. That's why you have to renew your thinking. You have to change your perspective. And, and the, the, you know, when, when things like this happen, like the, what, the COVID-19 and stuff, I mean, what, what do you do? What, what is your position you're supposed to take as a believer? You take, you're supposed to take the position of what God's word says about you regarding your relationship with God. How many believe that God is your healer? Amen. Amen. How many believe God is your protector? Amen. So there has to, not that you're foolish, not that you're careless, but that you don't get obsessed and caught up in the same fear that the world is caught up in. Amen. I mean, that's just something you have to remember that. Every time a, a calamity strikes, you as a believer have a covenant with God that promises you preservation, protection. Come on, can I have an Amen. Psalms, no, Vicky was just reading to me Psalms 91 out of the Passion Bible, really powerful, because uh, he that dwells in the secret place, of the, that's not the Passion, this is the King James, he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Uh, in fact, uh, King, the Amplified says, who's full, who, no, who, what's it, what's it said, the Amplified? Or, no foe can withstand. In other words, no foe can penetrate that. And so these are the things that you have to 
that you have to um, do in regards to renewing your mind. So listen, it's impossible to defeat an enemy, I talked about this, you haven't identified as one. And because all temptation uh, originates in the soulish realm, Satan uses, listen, he uses human reasoning to tempt us into stepping beyond the boundaries of God's word and at the same time believing God's going to bless us when we do. That we can literally step beyond the boundaries of God's word, get into fear, start confessing all sorts of stuff, and, and then expect his divine protection and blessing in our lives. But it doesn't work that way. That's human reasoning. And it's interesting, when you study the Bible and you, talk, and you study the New Testament, about, so many times it talks about the reasoning of the, of the scribes and Pharisees. Their reasoning short-circuited God's power. They could watch a man get healed, and yet it affect them in no way, have a positive effect on them in any way, couldn't, because of human reasoning. Their minds got in the way. It's the same with us on, a, on, on the every day of our lives. So, listen, if the devil, think about this, if the devil was able to trip up Adam and his wife in their perfect state, how much more do you think he can trip us up when we're still carrying this Adamic nature? And so that's the thing I want you to, we're going to look at tonight, because you have to understand you really do have enemies in your life that want to trip you up and cause you to fall in regards to your relationship with the Lord. So tonight I want to look at three arenas through which all temptation comes. Three arenas through which all temptation comes, and they're here in 1 John, the second chapter. We're going to read that. 1 John, second chapter. Amen. See, temptation is a part of life. And we'll get into all the other things regarding, you know, the scripture in Corinthians where it talks about you're not tempted above that which, you know, God's, God will grace you with whatever you need when you're being tempted. But we'll talk about that later. Now, 1 John 2.15, it records three arenas to which temptation comes through. And I'll list them on the screen here, and then we'll look at them. The lust of the flesh, which is expressed, the lust of the flesh is expressed through the body. The lust of the eyes, that's expressed through the soul. And the pride of life, that's expressed through the heart or the spirit of man. So there's three avenues of temptation, each one of them expressed through the body, the soul, and the spirit, okay? Now, verse 15 says this. Do not love or cherish the world or the things that are in the world. And then Paul actually gives us a list of those things which we'll, we'll touch next Wednesday night, okay? But... It says, if anyone, this is John writing. Now remember, John was called the beloved. In fact, I mean, according to, you know, according to history, he was the one that had the largest amount of love in his life. In fact, he's the only disciple that wasn't martyred. He lived out his life. I mean, they tried to boil him in oil and couldn't kill him. So they, so they put him on the, you know, the island of Patmos where he wrote the book of Revelation. But he, love prevailed in his life. And it, it had such a stronghold in his life that it preserved him where, the other, where all the other disciples were martyred, okay? So he goes on, if anyone loves, and that word love there is agape love. It's the God kind of love. So here's what he's saying. If you take the, if your love or your allegiance and loyalty is to, is to the world, he says the love for the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, this is the amplified, craving for sensual gratification, the lust of the eyes, greedy, greedy longings of the mind, and the pride of life, assurance in one's own resources, or in the stability of earthly things, these do not come from the Father, but are from the world itself. 
and the world passes away and disappears, and with it, the forbidden cravings. See, every one of us have cravings, but there's cravings that are forbidden for the believer, okay? And, but they're all going to pass away, the, the passionate desires, the lust of it. But he who does the will of God and carries out his purposes in his life abides or remains forever. So we, now we discover that two-thirds of our temptations come through something called lust. Uh, God years ago gave me an acronym for lust, L-U-S-T, living under sexual torment. That's what, that, that's what it is. It's being tormented when God doesn't want you to be tormented. God wants you to rule and reign over your soul and your body. If you agree, say amen. amen. They want that expression in your life. So two-thirds of temptation comes through lust. The dictionary simply says that it's a very strong sexual desire or uncontrolled passion. In the Greek, it means longing for that which is forbidden. So there are things forbidden for the believer, okay? And... Uh, then finally, the third avenue is pride, thinking of oneself more highly than he ought. The Greek for pride means arrogance or self-conceit. Proverbs 11.2 says this, when swelling and pride come, then emptiness and shame come also. This is so beautifully written. But with the humble, watch this, those who are lowly, who have been pruned or chiseled by trial, watch this, and have learned to renounce self. Isn't that beautiful? That's, that's where true humility comes from. True humility comes from being chiseled in hardship. I mean, having things happen in your life where you endure hardness as a good soldier. It's, it's coming, and you don't know why it's coming, but you're going to stay faithful to God. I always tell people, life is not fair, but God is faithful. Amen. Amen. And so those who are lowly, who have been pruned or chiseled by trial and renounced self, are skillful in godly wisdom and soundness. Amen. Um, Proverbs 1, Solomon, remember, he's the wisest man ever except for Christ in the earth. And he talked in Proverbs 1 about, uh, he uses the word simpleton. He said there are, there are people, they're, they're called simpletons. And the word simpleton is one who is easily seduced. Isn't that something? He talked in Proverbs 1 that there are going to be people that are easily seduced. Why? Because they don't stay close to God. And he's, I mean, if there's one should know about that, would be him, of all the challenges he had with his moral life. But he called about those people that are simpletons, they're easily seduced. And that's not what we want to, we don't want to be there in our lives uh, at this time in history. I mean, we are living in times, and, and, and remember, in Isaiah 5, you can write that down, Isaiah 5th chapter, God was grieved in his heart because the church in the wilderness, the, the Jews... Now, now, let's not be too hard on them. They weren't born again. But the Jews in the Old Testament, Isaiah the fifth chapter, they came to a place spiritually where they called evil good and good evil. They called dark light and light dark. They called sweet bitter and bitter sweet. Everything had become the opposite. And that's what's happening in our culture today. Yeah, and, I, and I've said this, but it really is true. I mean, whether you like to hear this or not, you being, you being, you living under the convictions of God's word, you're called a dangerous right-winger, a Bible-toting right-wing dangerous person because, see, you, you, you can't, you're so out of the picture when it comes to life that, you, that, you know, that uh, you're dangerous. And that's, that's the, where society is today. But we have to walk with God, no matter what people say. Can I have an amen? amen. And, 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 and obey God, what he says in his word. So listen to this. Either you're gonna be driven by love or lust, by humility, or by pride. 
It's a, something that we decide on a daily basis. James 1.13. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted from God. For God is incapable of being tempted by what is evil, and he himself tempts no man or no one. But every person is tempted, tempted when he's drawn away and enticed and baited by his own evil desires, his lusts or his passions. Then the evil desire... When it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully matured, brings forth death. So don't be misled, my beloved brethren. Now, desire is from God. There is godly desire. In Proverbs, I wrote this down, Proverbs 3 says, Trust, lean on, and rely on, and be confident in the Lord, and do good. So shall you dwell in the land, and feed surely on his faithfulness, and truly you shall be fed. Now, delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires and secret petitions of your heart. Is that beautiful or what? So God cares about what you care about. As long as it's within the boundaries of God's word, God wants to preserve your life. He wants to protect your life. He wants to bless your life. He really does. He, he wants you, you to be taken care of. As a, just like you as a parent want to take care of your children, the Heavenly Father wants to take care of you. And if the world wants to be obsessed with fear and exalt COVID-19 above the word of God, which they do, but I'm not blaming them because they don't know any different, but that's not the trap that you should set for yourself. Years ago, Brother Hagin says, you know, when the devil comes knocking on the door with a package, COVID-19, uh, sign for the package, don't sign for the package. Tell him to send it somewhere else. It does, doesn't come to your house. Can I have an amen? He taught us, taught us years ago, don't sign for the package. Just uh, reject it. Again, not be foolish, you know, the, we're six feet apart tonight. This is wonderful. It's fine. We're not trying to be stupid. We're not trying to be foolish. At the same time, I'm not going to be obsessed by fear. You just can't live there. It's, it's excruciating. So there is a godly desire and an evil desire. You know what evil desire is? It's desire that is um, deceived. Evil desire is simply desire that's deceived. It, God wants you to have desire, but not when it goes outside the bondage of his word. I'll give you an example. David with Bathsheba. David saw her. I was just sharing that with a uh, buddy here just uh, the other night. David had, was supposed to go out in battle, in war. So all the men being out, Bathsheba is on the rooftop bathing, knowing not to seduce anybody. In fact, you cannot find one scripture in the Bible where God blames Bathsheba for what happened. Now, yes, she did lose the son that she carried for David, but he didn't blame her. And so, um, uh, but, but, so she's up there. What does David do? He sees her. He lusts after her and calls forth. He could have had anybody, but he had to take the most precious gift that Uriah had, and that is his wife. In fact, if you read, uh, it's, if you read the story uh, in 2 Samuel, um, Nathan the prophet comes to David after David has murdered Uriah, after David has uh, uh, tried to seduce him to getting drunk so he could have sex with his wife because she's pregnant, instead of, in, in, instead of uh, yeah, so, so he, instead of just going to Uriah, repenting and saying, man, I blew it. I made a mistake. I've got to make this right. He concocts this whole thing and ends up, ends up putting Uriah on the front lines of war and pulling all the men back, and he dies in battle. So Nathan, the prophet, comes to him, 
And see, this is the destructive power of, of lust. Nathan comes to him and says, I got a story I got to tell you. He's like, okay, go ahead. He said there was a very wealthy man who had thousands of, I'm just, I'm paraphrasing, it doesn't say that, but he had a boatload of sheep and a boatload of um, goats, and he had just a, a man who was just wealthy. And there was one, he had a neighbor, he had a neighbor that had one little sheep that he had raised from when it was little, in fact, that little sheep slept with him. I mean, I'm telling you, this little thing was just the only thing he had in his life. He had nothing else. He was a poor shepherd having one sheep. He had nothing else, and that thing was the most valuable thing in his life. And so a, a, a friend came to visit the wealthy man, and, and a, a rancher, you can say, and uh, he says, so that rancher went to the neighbor's house and took that poor man's sheep and killed it. took the most valuable thing away from him. And David, just the redness, just shot to his head, his blood shot to his head, and he got angry and says, he should die. And Nathan said, it's you. Uriah, his most faithful friend, fought battles for David, lost his life because of uncontrolled passion, a desire that became twisted and perverted. And it caused David, his family, the Bible says the sword never left the door of his family's house. He suffered greatly. In fact, if you read it, man, his sons rebelled against him. I mean, everything went bad from that point on. And if David would have known the price, the price. And how many families have been destroyed because people make wrong decisions? At a moment's time, they're obsessed and they're tempted and all of a sudden they, they cross the line and they do things that cause such heartache for the rest of their lives. Not that God is doing it. God is not the punisher. We just reap the results of our choices that we make. So you can just say, I mean, it's just unreal. So I got, a, I, I got two quotes I want to give you. I, I write these things down in my Bible, in the front of my Bible, in the back of my Bible. Kids can read them when, when I'm gone. The greatest enemy in life is not the tempter, it's the temptation. Here's another quote. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than what you want, uh, keep you longer than what you want to stay, and cost you far more than what you want to pay. Isn't that good? Just quotes I wrote down. So the lust of flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life... That is the bait Satan uses. He used in Adam's life and he uses in lives ever since. And he's very good at it. Okay. Go back to Genesis. We'll just read a couple things here and then we won't have too much. Are you getting anything out of this tonight? Yeah. I know some of these things, you know, you, you know I mean, <laughs> you got to teach these things. Remember I was driving down the road one day and this is true. I was driving down the road one day and I said, and I I was just simply asking him because of all the things that are going on in the world. I asked, this is 20 years ago, I asked the Lord, Lord, what is the key to overcoming lust? I said, what's the key to overcoming lust? What is the, I mean, if two-thirds of our temptation comes to the avenue, what's the key to overcoming it? And just like that, he spoke to me as audibly as I'm talking to you, but in my spirit. He said, you must starve it. Well, wow. I said, okay, sir, but then I said, you're going to have to take me to the scriptures and confirm that. I sat down and I wrote 200 pages on the subject of lust. I sat down on my computer and it just flowed out of me. And I wrote it in a matter of just a few days. 200 pages on what it is, what the Bible says it is, and how to overcome it. Isn't that beautiful? 
And so you can see, I mean, but you have to start, you, you have to starve it. And that's not always easy, especially when you get caught in that snare. And, and like I said, remember when the, I said when Satan attacks your life, no, excuse me, whatever God delivers you from, Satan will try to come through that door. And if it's moral compromise, he's going to come through that door if he can. So you've got to keep the door closed. Amen. I know a lot of you aren't saying amen because then you might think it's you. But I'm, no, I mean, I'm just, every one of us have, have these temptations. Can I have an amen? So, amen. So let's go on. Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more subtle. Now we're going to see this, all three of these, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life, we're going to see it introduced to Adam and his wife, okay? Now the serpent was more subtle and crafty than any living creature of the field which the Lord God had made. And he... And he, the serpent, but it was Satan possessing the serpent, okay, said to the woman, can it really be that God has said you shall not eat from every tree of the garden? No. It's not what God said. God didn't say that. So let's go back and find out what God said. Genesis 2, verse 16. And the Lord commanded the man. Now, just, this, is, this is important that you see this. He commanded the man. He commanded the man. Question. If a command is given... Obviously, you're subject to the one who gives the command. So you can see the authority there. God, you know, Adam was in authority as long as he was under authority. Remember the centurion, Matthew 8? He understood the power of Jesus because he recognized, having has spent his entire life under authority, he understood that, hey, the man that does these kind of miracles has to be under someone's authority. So he really believed that all that Jesus had to do is give the order, and his servant would be healed. And Jesus said, I've never sponsored such great faith. And so here you have a man under authority, so God commanded him, and said, uh, saying, you may eat freely of every tree of the garden. So he'd, see, Satan, like a good politician, he twisted the truth. He twisted what was being said. He didn't say that. God said, you shall eat of every tree. Satan said, did God say you should not eat of every tree? No, he didn't say that. God said, you shall eat of every tree. Do you get the, can you see that? Amen. And so, uh, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and blessing and calamity, you shall not eat of it. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, we know he didn't die physically. He died spiritually. Spiritual death simply means he was separated from his divine connection with God, his union with God. His eternal spiritual union with God was severed, okay? <clears throat> Let's go on. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees of the garden, except the fruit from the tree which is in the middle of the garden. God has said, you shall not eat it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Well, God didn't say anything about touching it. That was added. And I really believe, because Satan is so subtle, I can just see him operating in her mind going, hey, you can touch it. You can touch it. Nothing wrong with flirting with that person. It's just flirting a little bit. You can touch it. <laughs> Not going to hurt you. So that was created in her own thinking. For, <clears throat> but the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. I always say half truth is a whole, a whole lie. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. <clears throat> well, stop for a moment. They were as much like God that they could be. 
He was filled with the presence of God and surrounded by the presence. You, he could not get any more like God. See, we're like God. How many agree that you're like your father on the inside? You're like God on the inside. You're not like him on the outside in the sense you have, a, you have an Adamic earth suit that, that was plagued by the curse. And so it can't live forever. But thank God we can trust God for health and healing and wholeness as we journey through this life. Amen. But we're like God on the inside. He said, God knows that in the day that you eat of it, you shall not surely die. But you're going to be, your eyes will be open and you're going to be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil, blessing and calamity. They didn't even know what evil and calamity was. They just knew what good was. And so he convinced them to believe that God was withholding something that was even better than what they had. And that is called lust. It's no different than us. We can go down there, we can go buy a new truck, and next day, we're, or it's three months from now, the new ones come out, and you go, oh, gee, I'd really like a new one. Because, see, lust is insatiable. You cannot, it can't, you cannot satisfy it. The more you feed it, the bigger the monster gets. It doesn't get smaller, it gets bigger. <clears throat> Let's go on. And, uh, and, uh, and when the woman saw that the tree was good, suitable and pleasant for food, that's the lust of the flesh. That it was, and that it was delightful to look at, that's the lust of the eyes. And a tree to be desired in order to make one wise, that's the pride of life. She took of its fruit and ate, and she gave it some also to her husband, and he ate. Then the eyes of them were opened, and they knew that they, had naked, they were naked, or they knew that the glory of God was gone from them. See, they were clothed with God's glory, and it was gone. The Bible says they sewed fig leaves together, made themselves apron-like girdles. So it's really sad to know that he had everything and didn't recognize the good he had. That's the same with us. How many agree tonight with lift a hand? You've got a pretty good living in America. I've been all over, we've been all over the world, and um, there's no nation like America. People always talk about Europe. Europe is living in the 50s. You go to a hotel in Europe, unless you got a real nice American hotel, I mean, I mean, you can't, I mean, it, it's a tiny little space. Everybody talks about, no, the greatest nation in the world, because God blessed it, is America. And we are blessed. Amen. But he, the devil, beguiled them to believe that some, God was withholding something from them, and that they could even have more beyond God. And boy, if that is not a deceptive lie. There were two trees in the midst of the garden. Let me just talk about them for a moment. Two trees in the center of the garden. The word midst means center. And again, every, every natural story is an eternal story. See, you are God's garden, the Bible says, 1 Corinthians, the third chapter. You are God's garden. Listen, you don't own, the Bible says you're not your own, you've been bought with a price, but you are called to manage this garden. You gotta, you're called to make sure good seed gets in this garden, not bad seed. Not the seed of envy, jealousy, strife, backbiting, dissension, right? You want to put the good seed of God's love and wisdom inside of this garden. So that, why? So that you become a reflection of his likeness, okay? So there were two uh, trees. Uh, the one was the tree of the knowledge of good, good and evil, and that represented two things. It represented ownership, when Adam looked at that tree, it reminded him that he didn't own anything. It all belonged to God. 
and he was just a steward. We don't own anything. In fact, 1 Corinthians 1 Timothy 6, verse 7 says, we brought nothing into the world and we're not taking anything out. I mean, we're not even taking our clothes, we were. They dress your body, they dress your earth suit up when you put it in the coffin, but you don't even take that with you. So we don't own anything, but we are managers of what God has given us. And then number two, it represented the tithe. A constant reminder to Adam that God was the provider of all things in his life. Amen. That, we don't tithe out of a law of regulation. We tithe out of a law of revelation. That God is so good to bless us that we, 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 feel, we feel it an honor to sow back into his kingdom. Can I have an amen? And that's, of course, how we uh, proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then the, there was the tree of life. The tree of life was a constant reminder to Adam that the quality of life he was going to live would be based on the wisdom of God that he allowed to come into his life. The wisdom of the tree of life. In fact, let's read about that in uh, Proverbs 3. We've got to wind this down. Happy, blessed, fortunate, and enviable is the man who finds skillful and godly wisdom and the man who gets understanding, drawing it forth from God's word and life's experiences. For the gaining of it, that's godly wisdom, is better than the gaining of silver and the profit of it better than fine gold. What does that even mean? If you operate in the wisdom of God, you'll know how to handle the silver and you'll know how to handle the gold. That won't have you. You will have it. Isn't that good? That's what he's talking about there. He says, and uh, uh, skillful and godly wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing, nothing you can wish for is to be compared to her. Here it is. Length of days is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are highways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She, that's wisdom, is a tree of life to those that lay hold on her, and happy, blessed fortune to be envied is everyone who holds her fast. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? And where does wisdom come from? The Word of God. Proverbs is the book of wisdom, right? You get wisdom from Psalms. You get wisdom from the Gospels. You get wisdom from the Epistles. All to help you walk within the boundaries of God's Word. Now, I'm going to close in Hebrews 4. We're going to talk about Jesus, but I don't have time. Jesus was tempted in every, all three avenues, and you can read about it in Luke, the fourth chapter, all three avenues, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, Jesus was tempted in all three just as the first Adam was. And of course, he conquered temptation by three words. Anybody know what they were? Well, you're good students. Say it as written. Say it again. Amen. He had studied the Torah his, all of his life, and when it came to temptation, up out of his belly flowed the Old Testament scriptures to conquer the, temp, the, the testing. Amen. It is written. That's why the Bible is so important for you in your life. <clears throat> That's why it is. So you know what God says about something. Amen? You know, it's, it's not good to be greedy. It's, it's not good, you know, to, to be envious. It's, I mean, the Bible teaches us Christ-likeness in our lives. But Hebrews 4, I'm going to read this, because I'm going to read the Passion Bible as we close here. Hebrews 4.12. For the word <clears throat> that God speaks is alive and full of power, making it active, operative, energizing, and effective. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, 
penetrating to the dividing line of the breath of life, the soul, and the immortal spirit, and of joints and marrow, of the deepest parts of our nature. Watch this. What does it do? It exposes us. It's sifting, analyzing, and judging the very thoughts and purposes of the heart. And no, it's not, it's not doing that for the purpose of condemning us, but it, it does it for the purpose of convicting us and equipping us for the temptations of life. Just think about a sword. It cuts going in and it cuts coming out. Remember the Lord said to me years ago, the conviction to do right must become stronger than the temptation to do wrong? Well, what does that even mean? Well, the conviction to do right comes from God's word. If you don't know what the God's word says about it, something that you're dealing with, then you'll, you'll end up yielding to the Adamic nature and make the wrong decision rather than the spirit nature to make the right decision because you won't have the word of God. So just as Jesus conquered all three avenues through it is written, you do the same thing in your life. Praise God. Now I'm going to read the, the Passion Bible, then we'll close. It says, for we have the living word of God. Say, I have the living word of God. And it says, it's full of energy, and it pierces more sharply than a two-edged sword. It will even penetrate to the very core of our being where soul and spirit, bone and marrow meet. It interprets and reveals the true thoughts and secret motives of our hearts. Man, think about that. That's beautiful. Why? Because when it does that, then it can, it can judge things that are going on. Again, I was just telling you, because it, it really happened to me. Remember, just real quick, the guy that filed bankruptcy on me, I was so mad at him. I was going down the road in my truck, chewing on that. I was really disgusted. And God just spoke to me again, inside, as loud as I'm talking to you. He's, and he said it with very firmness and very bold. He said, you forgive him. And I mean, when he said that, I didn't say, well, I think I'll think about it. No, I said, yes, sir, yes, sir. And how did I do it? I did it by faith. My feelings were, hadn't lined up with the word, but my faith lined up with the word. I said, yes, sir, that's my will. My will is to forgive him. So I forgive him by faith. And I'm telling you, right? I mean, things turned right around just like that. God provided the means, you know, we needed to pay off that debt. I mean, everything went, everything went good after that. Hallelujah. Say hallelujah. hallelujah. Again, conviction. God convicted me. And I, 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 I prayed earnestly, God, don't ever, God, and if I just say one thing wrong, I pray that conviction will be so deep that it cuts me. That, remember in Acts, when, when Peter preached Christ, the Bible says their hearts were pricked. They were pricked, and 3,000 of those that were pricked responded to the Holy Ghost and got gloriously saved. And it's that same with us. I want this, don't, how many want the word of God to, the spirit of God to prick you when you're being ugly? Amen. Just prick you. Say, hey, wake up, son. That's not God-likeness. <laughs> like I said, I wish sometimes God would just, you could just give, it, give, give your one across the head. Wouldn't that be wonderful? The thing about that, though, we'd all come to church. We'd be bruised all up. I mean, <laughs> what happened to you? I got whipped today. <laughs> no, he doesn't do that, does he? He convicts us. All right, let's go on. <clears throat> there is not one person who can hide their thoughts from God. For nothing that we do remains a secret. And nothing created is concealed. But everything is exposed and defenseless before his eyes to whom we must render an account. That, that's, that's what... Uh, everybody lives differently. But I have a deep... I have a deep... Um, 
reverence for God. That I'm going to stand before him one day, give an account. I'm, I'm, that, that concerns me. I mean, that should concern us. Not that he's going to cast you into hell, but it's just that. Uh, how many want to please God? Yeah. I want to please him. I want to please him, not disappoint him. Now, he goes, so then we must cling in faith. We must cling in faith to all we know to be true. For we have a magnificent king priest, Jesus Christ, the son of God, who rose into the heavenly realm for us. Come on, give him praise for that. We have a king. His name is Jesus. It says, and now sympathizes with us in our frailty. He understands humanity. For as a man, our magnificent king priest was tempted in every way just as we are and conquered sin. So now we can come freely and boldly to where love, to where love is enthroned to receive mercy's kiss and discover the grace we urgently need to strengthen us in our time of weakness. Is that beautiful or what? Man, that even makes it more clear what Brother Copeland said years ago. Don't run from God because of sin. Run to him. Because we honestly have a king, priest, who is, who is literally faced with every temptation that we face and conquered it for us. And then went to the throne, seated at the right hand of God, as our high priest, praise God, supporting us because he feels everything that we deal with. No, that doesn't give us a license to sin, but it gives us access into his mercies, which are new every morning. Bow your head, we're going to pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. We give you glory tonight. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Remember this, kids. Remember, greater, John said, 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that is in you. Who is that? The Holy Ghost. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Can you give God praise for that? Greater is he that is in you. And then Revelation 12, 11 says, they overcame him, that's the devil, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Let me, there's another quote if you want to write this down. Just things I wrote down through the years. Lust takes, listen, lust takes at the expense of others to benefit self, while love gives at the expense of self to benefit others. Isn't that powerful? See, that's redemption in action. Love, love gives at the expense of self to benefit others. That's redemption. That's Jesus. That's what he did for us. Even while we were yet sinners. And I'm so grateful for that. Thank you. Let's praise the Lord. Father, we just thank you tonight. We give you praise and honor and glory for your word. We give you praise and glory and honor for the presence of your spirit who lives within us. Would you all stand for a moment? I just want to. I want to um, pray for you tonight. The thing that has always given me hope through the years, just now, just think, Vicki and I have been serving God for almost 50, 50 years. 50 years. All those 50 years, I'm so grateful that every morning, his mercies were new. I said every morning for 50 years, his mercies were new. Every morning. And I want you to remember that. Why? Because you get up in the morning, 
start your day out by just worshiping him and giving him praise that our mercies are new. Why? Because during the day, things always happen to where we stumble in some way, words or actions, whatever, and then we can give God praise that his mercies are new every morning.